Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 149 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about everything monogamy related. Our guest is Dr. Tammy Nelson, and we're going to talk about the definition of new monogamy and how is it different than old monogamy. And Dr. Nelson is an expert in helping couples recover after sexual infidelity. So we're going to talk about everything related to cheating and infidelity. And also we're going to talk about some of the common mistakes that may cause and contribute to sexual boredom in a long-term relationship. Speaking of sexual boredom, I am so excited to share with you that in this episode, in the show notes, you will find the checklist of 101 things that you can do in your relationship to spice things up. And the list is divided to three categories. Level one are the things that even the most conservative couples are able to do it. So it's think about it as like 1.2 version of the things you're doing. I try to include range of different things. Level two is a little bit more adventurous. And level three is quite adventurous. And the reason I created this list is one of the that's one of the challenges I had with couples in my practice. People were coming in and uh, one of the issues I find related to sexual issue for many of the long-term couples is that they've been doing the same things for decades, the same routine, the same kind of positions. And when I talk about, okay, what if we do something different? Many of my clients, they get stuck. And there are tons of different lists of yes, no, maybe things online. And I found several issues with the, many of them that I research. And trust me, I've been researching this for a while now, that one of the challenges is sometimes the list is just a little bit to quote unquote vanilla, like talking about if you want to spice things up, maybe gaze to your partner's eyes or have a good conversation or sure, all of those things are great, but I think it's important to have different levels. The other issues that I've been finding with this yes, no, maybe list that they don't include instructions. So they have this one word thing and my clients go research it and sometimes they get traumatized. But in my list, I try to include a brief description. What would that look like if you want to do the activity? At times, I included some of the links for the websites that you can gather more information about things you can do. For example, if you want to do more advanced positions that are kind of like more BDSM-ish, I include a link for that. None of the links I included are affiliated to my podcast. I don't get money from it. It's purely coming from like place of me wanting to help you get connected to resources. So if you are interested, definitely check out the list. I've been researching this for weeks and I'm very proud of the final products. If you are looking at the list and you notice that there are things that you and your partner are doing and might be helpful for other people, you can send me an email and let me know about it. And I'll included in the future updates of this list. As far as our guest today, Dr. Tammy Nelson, PhD, 
is a board-certified sexologist and certified sex therapist, as well as a relationship therapist, an author of several books for couples, including Getting the Sex You Want, The New Monogamy, When You Are the One Who Cheated, an upcoming integrative sex and couples therapy due out in March. She's a director and founder of the Integrative Sex Therapy Institute in Washington, D.C., a training institute for married couples. Definitely check out the list. And also, I wanted to share with you a little bit about our guest today, Dr. Tammy Nelson. She's a board-certified sexologist and certified sex therapist, as well as relationship therapist and author of several books for couples, including Getting the Sex You Want, The New Monogamy, When You're the One Who Cheated, and the upcoming Integrative Sex and Couple Therapy due out in March. She is the director and founder of the Integrative Sex Therapy Institute in Washington, D.C., a training institute and think tank focused on obtaining and creating sustainable relationship. She is also an expert consultant for Ashley Medicine, an online dating site for married people. She has been featured in New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, Time Magazine, and is the host of popular podcast, The Trouble with Sex. Here is my conversation with Dr. Tammy Nelson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have one of my favorite sex therapists, Dr. Tammy Nelson, on our show today. Dr. Tammy, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. We were talking about how I've seen you present, and I love your approach when it comes to affair recovery. So I'm very excited about this topic. So one of the main issues that I see in my practice with the couples that I see in LA that is the issue around sexual boredom. People have been doing the same things for decades and decades. And what are some of the common mistakes that you notice that people kind of take so they kind of end up in this route of being sexually bored? <laughs> well, first of all, it's funny that you say, you know, you see couples in LA that are bored with the sex. Um, you know, I treat couples all over the planet and I just moved to LA. So I'm curious how <laughs> couples here are different. Like, what is it about sex that's more boring here? I, you know, <laughs> just as an aside, I, I lived in Connecticut for many, many years where it's much colder. And I don't know how anyone could be bored here because it's beautiful. But someone just told me yesterday, well, we kind of get bored with the weather. It's like 80 degrees and sunny every day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like the same thing, like getting bored with sex, even if it's good all the time, it can lead to what you're kind of alluding to, I think, which is, you know, even if it's good, if it's the same thing all the time, just like if it's the same weather all the time, even if it's beautiful, even if it's sunny, even if it's great, that consistent great is sometimes not satisfying. So I think that's what you mean. <laughs> Absolutely, right. And I, I told when I'm going to kind of start my practice sex therapist, I'm going to see all this exciting nuance of thing. And I'm hearing people are saying they're doing the 
same thing that was once great, like 30 years ago. <laughs> but if you're doing it twice per week, like for 30 years, that becomes like anything else in life boring. Like if you're having your favorite food every day, you're not going to be excited to have it. So yes, exactly. That's what I meant by uh, sexual boredom. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I think, I, I think it's, there's a couple different things. One is... We go through phases developmentally in a relationship, just like we grow developmentally in ourselves. So we're not the same people that we were when we were 25, when we're 55. But you're still trying to have the same sex and thinking that sex is going to turn you on and that sex is going to be good. And if you aren't growing sexually together and individually, then yeah, you're going to be bored. Nobody wants to have sex like they had when they were 19 or 20 or 25 or even 35 when you're 60 because you want deeper, more intense, more expanded, more connected sexual experiences as you age because it's not so much just about getting to the finish line anymore, about putting tab A into slot B. You know, it's not so much a performance as much as it is about pleasure and how do you experience pleasure in a way that's about you, your partner, the people you're with, and what are the ways that you can find pleasure in ways that maybe aren't the same as they were when you were younger. And so it's not about finding new things. It's about going deeper in the ways that perhaps you already know. That makes sense. And I think one of the misconceptions that I hear that people are having is that when I know the person, when we are really the relationship is good, then sex is going to get better. But that's not my experience. My experience is when my client's telling me like their relationship is good, sometimes they turn to be like siblings and that can be an issue. Yeah. So the longer you're together, the more you would think you feel comfortable, you can share your fantasies, the better sex would get, the more erotic, but it actually works the other way because the longer you're together, the safer you feel. So people think, well, if I feel safe with my partner, we should have better sex. But, you know, eroticism by its nature is, is illicit, it's forbidden, it's naughty, you know, after you have good sex, you should feel a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> you should feel like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I made that noise. I can't believe that we did that. You know, like you should push your edge a little bit mm -hmm. and that kind of embarrassment or not quote, you know, sort of quote, not being yourself unquote is, is something that becomes more risky with the person that you feel safe with because we feel safe with someone in order to create a family, in order to create, like you said, we become family with the person that we're with because we are in a relationship with them that is actually created for just that. And so even if you're gay, straight, not having kids, it doesn't really matter. You're creating an attached relationship. And attachment is a really early stage of development that we learn from our parents. So the minute you say, we're going to stay together forever, you become what you know of forever love, which is parental love. So you become like family. And you don't want to have sex with your family. That's just gross. 
<laughs> that is true. <laughs> and you're right. And I think the other part of it is the change in the context, right? Like when you're dating, if you're not living together, you usually see each other at the best light. You're kind of presenting best version of yourself. But then if you are living with someone and you're kind of like doing day-to-day things with them, that also kind of increases sense of familiarity and safety that you're mentioning, but also that can impact how how much passion you might experience in the bedroom. Yeah, I think when you first meet, before you're attached in that attached safe space, there's the longing or attraction phase. And that, that makes sense because you're attracted to someone in the space in between you. Like you long for someone over there. Like you long for someone you don't have yet. And when they're sitting next to you on the couch every night, like not so much, right? Because they're, you get like this merged, attached, comfortable relationship. It's like the, what I call the sweatpants phase of your relationship. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's wonderful. It's comfortable. You can eat pizza together. You don't have to wash your hair. You know, it's great. It's awesome. We all want it. But it's, it's not like hot and juicy. It's more like maintenance. And you have maintenance sex, and it's good, and it's comfortable, and it, but it's not the same as that developmental phase when you feel that like hot erotic charge. And it's okay, and it's great. We all love it. But if that goes on for too long, like you know, you have kids, and you kind of shut down or split off that erotic energy until the kids are a little bit older, or until you both go, wow, this is really boring, or this is not okay, or, or there's a crisis, like one of you has an affair, and then you really have to wake up and do something. And I, and I think with the affair piece, it's very important. I know not necessarily is always about sex, and I know you're talking about different aspects of kind of like that, that different aspects when it comes to affairs in your book that you talk about. There's three different parts to it. But I know many times people act out out of the relationship if they are in a monogamous relationship when they are sexually bored. So what are some of the reasons that you think that contributes to people going out of, outside the relationship for sex? Well, I think people cheat for a lot of different reasons. You know, some people cheat because it's like a can opener. So a can opener affair is like a way to get out of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even before you know you want out, like you cheat because it's a way to create, you know, a drama or a way to split up. But some people cheat to stay in their marriage or their committed partnership because they're getting what they need outside, but there's still so much good companionship in the relationship. They don't really want to end things. And, you know, sometimes they cheat because it's like a wake-up call. Like, we have to stir stuff up. We can't stay, like you said, in this sexual boredom. And, you know, it just will kill both of us. It kills our spirit. It kills the energy in the relationship. All the erotic energy is just flatlined. And so sometimes one of the the partners will cheat just to like stir up some stuff. Like we gotta, we gotta do something or else it will kill our relationship. And so sometimes an affair, people will say, you know, that maybe that's the best thing that could have happened to us because we were not on a good path. Now you can't tell someone that who is in the crisis phase Mm -hmm. after a discovery of a relation of an outside relationship that's really super painful. So if you're listening and you like just found out your partner cheated or you're cheating, I'm not saying, oh, this is really good for you. 
because right now you're probably like swearing at me. <laughs> and you're like, shut up, Dr. Tammy. But, but at some point, if you go through all the phases of recovery after an affair, it might really be something that is helpful because it wakes up the conversation between you that really might have needed to happen all along. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing that's interesting that sometimes I work with couples that they are in the sexless relationships and one of the partners saying, I don't find him or her attractive anymore. We're trying all different things. And they say there's no spark there. And then there's something happened that they even feel like the partner is going outside the relationship or the flirting. And all of the sudden they, they want the partner, they, their sexual desire waking up for them. Like, and they're talking about, Oh God, I don't know why I'm so more attracted to the partner, which makes sense because sometimes seeing our partners from uh, like from in the eyes of someone else and how they've been perceived can helps us to reconnect with that part of so ourselves and the part of the relationship that found the partner desirable. Yeah, it's again, you know, it's like when people say, I don't even know you. How could you do that to me? I don't even know who you are anymore. Like I, you're not the person I thought you were. Well, that creates that moment of, of longing and attraction because it's created space in between. Like now there's that space for curiosity instead of like, oh, I know my partner. I know everything about them. They would never be into that. I know what they like. I know what they don't like. Suddenly you're back in that initial phase of the relationship when you don't know each other. And even though you might hate each other in that moment, you might be like, I I don't forgive you. This doesn't mean we're getting back together. This doesn't mean I, for, I forgive and forget, but I'm really hot for you right now. <laughs> and I see it a lot that at times that when people kind of like when crisis happens, like they discover that for, yes, some people, they just don't want to even take it, make an eye contact with their partner. But some people, they just want to have sex very like more frequent and they desire their partner more. What is that about? You know, I think it's, first of all, it's that, idea that I'm now curious about like you said like what does that other pe person see in you that I didn't see in you like I'm curious now that now you're a sexual person not just my roommate not just my companion not just my co-parent now you're like the sexual object <laughs> and I want to know more about that so that's hot but also there's kind of a swan song feeling to it like I need to go to you to comfort me, even though you're the person that hurt me. So it's really confusing to go to someone for comfort who's the person that has broken your heart. And in that confusion, there's some tension too. And that tension creates some sexual eroticism. And also, you know, the attraction is a strange thing. You know, it's, it's sort of a reboot of the beginning of a relationship. And it really does bring the erotic energy up into the forefront of the relationship so that you're not just in your companionship. You know, there's two parts of a committed partnership or a marriage. There's companionship and there's eroticism. And companionship is how you co-parent, who pays the mortgage, what you're going to watch on Netflix. You know, that's really, you know, who's going to walk the dog. That's, that's your roommate relationship. And you can be fabulous roommates but not have an erotic life that's really passionate and alive. Because we think in our culture, if you just work on your companionship, then your erotic life will take care of itself. But you know, as a sex therapist, 
you have to work on your erotic life as much, if not more, than your companionship, or else it won't happen. And in fact, it will, out of neglect, just get get more and more boring. And if there's a trauma, like an affair, it's a trauma to your erotic life. And then you really do have to work through and heal that part of you. But it does put the focus on your erotic life suddenly. So suddenly you're out of just being focused on being companions. And now all the energies in your erotic life. And sometimes that stirs things up enough. And as you said, it absolutely can be traumatic. And depending on how people discover things, how what does that, what the, what's the meaning they're making out of it, and how is the relationship like afterward, it it can be traumatic. But some people choose to stay in the relationship for a number of different reasons. And I've certainly seen people work through it and the relationship at times even gets stronger. And I, I bet that's your experience at times as well. But what does like rebuilding the sexual intimacy would look like after someone discovered that like, my partner went outside the relationship for sex? Well, I mean, there's three phases of recovery. So there's the crisis phase, which we've been talking about, which is really when there's disclosure of an affair or discovery of an affair. And that crisis phase is usually when people come into therapy or when they're madly checking in with Dr. Google, you know, they're like Googling online, going, what do I do? I can't stand my partner. When they're telling all their friends and family, and that's not the time when you should decide what to do about your relationship. You can't really decide, should I stay or go? All your friends are going to say, oh my God, once a cheater, always a cheater. Like, don't make any decision because that crisis phase will pass. There's two other phases. There's the Second phase, which is the insight phase. So that's, if you're smart and lucky enough to be in therapy, the insight phase is where you work through those deeper questions like, how did this happen? And what was really going on with us? You know, the crisis phase, you're just like, oh my God, why? Why did you do this? And what did you do? Like, how many times mm-hmm. did you have sex with them? And where did you do it? And, but in the insight phase, you're really talking about, like, how did this happen? How did we get here? How could we have let our relationship get to this place? How did we grow up and be, you know, start to be attracted to each other in the first place? And how are we replaying some of our childhood stuff? Like all the deeper therapy questions. And then in the third phase, it's really about the future. So that's the vision phase. And that's where you create a whole new plan for your relationship going forward. If you choose to stay together, that's when you decide, are we going to break up? Or are we going to have a new relationship with each other? You can't go back to the way things were. Because if you try to go back, then you're just going to end up here again. So you really do have to create a whole new vision of your life going forward. And one thing that I, I read in the book, and also I know in presentation you talk about it, that an affair is not necessarily meaning that there was something specific that was wrong with the relationship. So sometimes people act out is because they, they don't like themselves, the person they become, have things changed for themselves. Is that something that you talk about it with the couples? How do you explore that with the couples after this kind of like going, taking them through this process? Meaning like how, how do you go through the process if, if there really, it really wasn't about a problem in the marriage or the relationship? 
Right, because I certainly see that sometimes people kind of act out, they go outside the relationship because they it's just more about their the changes in their identity and the changes like the transitions in life more than the issues in the relationship. Well, I think always and you can't blame your partner if you're the one who cheats, you know, like my latest book when you're the one who cheats, I say you can never blame your partner for the fact that you had an affair. Because people don't necessarily look to find someone to cheat with. They, look, they don't look to, to find a new person. They look to be a new person. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, so no matter what's happening at home, when you're the one who's cheating, you become a different person when you're with your outside partner. So the goal really is to be that other person in that relationship. You're craving for whatever reason, like you said, a new identity or to explore a new part of yourself. It's, you know, developmentally something that is trying to be created, something that's trying to come out, something that's trying to be visited. And that part of you has not necessarily anything to do with your marriage. The part that has to do with your marriage is why do you think that you can't be that part of you in your marriage? Mm -hmm. Are you blaming your partner saying, well, she won't let me be that at home or he's not into that or she never listens to me or he doesn't like to have sex that way. Or like, what is the story you're making up about why you can't be your whole self at home? Because that may or may not be true, but it is an issue that you have to talk about if you're planning on, staying together after an affair because somehow you have to integrate all of you into the marriage or else you're going to feel like, okay, well, I'll end the affair and I'll shut down that part of myself, but I will always resent you that I can't be my whole self with you. I love that. And it reminds me of one of the main points that one of my supervisors always used to make. And she was talking about most people have leftover sex. They're saying that, thank God we're not doing this, this and that. And the other partner said, oh, good, good, because I wasn't into that. And they're having, that's how they kind of create this routine. And maybe again, as we talked about it, it works at the beginning, but maybe 20 years down the line, you are discovering different things about yourselves. And you're right that the sex maybe you wanted at 20, your 20s might be different than 30s and 40s. And you are kind of like going based on the story that once 30 years ago, I told my partner about this and it, it appeared that they were not into it and it wasn't a kind of explicit conversation. Therefore, I'm not going to bring it up. But that can be a beauty of being a, in a long-term relationship. You shouldn't necessarily be worried about what would your partner perceive you because they kind of know you for all these years. And then I would imagine perhaps it might be easier to introduce more adventurous part or different aspects of your personality. It's just a matter of at times being more courageous and talking about it. Yeah, it's hard because I think, you know, we want to be curious about our partners, but even more so, we want our partners to be curious about us. Like that's how we fall in love, right? When someone's curious about us. And I also think that's why we cheat sometimes is because someone comes along and they ask us questions about us. And we're like, oh my God, that's so hot. (laughs) (laughs) You know, someone like says, no, tell me about you. Tell me where you're from. Tell me what you're into. Tell me, you know, and we're like, God, that's so intriguing. (laughs) We don't even care about them. We're like, just ask me more about me. Like, you know, because your partner stops being curious about you after a while. They think, oh, I know you. Like, 
I not really care about your day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think the other important thing that I think that it, you mentioned that was really cool was about kind of new, this definition of new monogamy that you talked about in one of their books. And I think like working and making a monogamous relationship work is one of the most kind of challenging things. So I think it's a kind of a badass way of leaving <laughs> because I feel it's easier to kind of like, if you, you, if you, you don't make this commitment, because at times for people that could be used to be when like, I don't know, centuries ago, people were like together for 20 years and their, that was their lifespan. But now people are living until like 80s and 90s, which is great, but that, that might mean that you have to be in this relationship or you're choosing to be in this relationship for half a century or like 60 years or 70 years. So tell us about this concept of new monogamy. How do you define that? So a new monogamy, the way that I look at it is we are not getting married and having relationships in the same traditional way that we have for the past 200 years. I mean, this is not your grandparents' monogamy, right? So... And this is the first time in history you can cheat on your partner lying in bed next to them. We have all new, cha- new challenges, things that we've never had to talk about before. You know, monogamy has this inclusive assumption around social media, pornography, masturbation. Like we have to have conversations now about what monogamy means that we've never had to talk about before. It used to be just you get married, you say, you know, we're never going to cheat on each other, which meant sleep with anyone else, and we're going to live together till we die. And that was easy when you lived to be like 40, because, you know, by the time you got bored, you were dead. And so it was it. (laughs) You had one rule, and then you died. It was easy. It was clear. It's not so easy or clear anymore. You know, most people live to be, you know, in their 80s or 90s, and you were supposed to be married to the same person. And and not sexually bored, and only sleep with that person. And But what does that mean? Like, does that mean you don't ever masturbate to pornography? Does that mean, you know, you don't have any social media friends? Does that mean, like, what exactly does monogamy mean? And so the new monogamy means that you have to be much more explicit about what you want in your relationship. And your monogamy is much different than my monogamy, is different than my daughter's monogamy, You know, like everyone has to have an explicit conversation about what it means to them. And it has to change over time so that it's flexible and fluid and you renew it all the time. It's not a one-time vow that lasts you your whole life. And that's what makes it new and different. Like we, we have changed so much, even just over the past decade, that relationships now, you know, include conversations of like, are we going to... Are we going to sleep with other people? Are we going to you know, have sexual experiences but be emotionally monogamous? That was never a conversation before like the 70s. And now 50 years later, it's a common question among people who are just committing. And so it doesn't mean it's, it's, it's an option for everyone, but it's certainly a conversation for many people. And I think if and when people are having this conversation more openly, that can help them to examine and explore it themselves. Because sometimes when I have this conversation with couples in, the, in our session, I realize that people have this unrealistic expectation. For example, they're saying that, like, I don't want my partner ever think about another woman. And like, or I don't want them to look at the images online. And 
all those things. And I, and I don't know if, if as a couple, as a partner, we can control other people's thoughts and emotions, like erotic thoughts and emotion. And I don't think that's realistic. What do you think about that? Well, it's certainly not realistic. I mean, you, we know that like 98% of everyone has sexual fantasies about someone other than their partner. So that means pretty much everyone except for my husband. <laughs> and mine. <laughs> and yours, right. You're my husband, that's it. But everyone else. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the reality of can, can you have a monogamous relationship if people are fantasizing in their minds about someone else, it really depends on what your implicit assumptions are about monogamy. So do you have a conversation with your partner that says, you know, gee, if I have a fantasy about someone else, I think we should talk about it because it could mean we're at risk of cheating. For other people, they say, you know, that's not really a risk for me. Like, it doesn't mean I'm going to actually sleep with anyone. So I don't think we even need to talk about it. For other people, it's like, no, I've cheated in my heart. And that's, that, that's a form of being unfaithful. So that implicit assumption for one person is that, you know, it's a problem for, for the other person. It means it's no big deal. But a lot of times those partners have two different assumptions about it. And that's where the betrayal usually starts is that you have two different assumptions that you never talk about. Absolutely. And I think the other piece of it is how technology is evolving. The other day, one of my clients were telling me about augmented porn and how you can be in the room with the people like in a kind of a one they're having sex. So like all these nuances. And as you said, I think that's, that makes it really important for people to continue having these conversations because maybe I was okay with you watching porn, but what about webcam? Or what if I'm using the augmented reality thing that I, I am in the room virtually with them? So all of these things needs to be a kind of a more explicit conversation. But I can imagine that for many people, at least I know for my many of my listeners, that they came from more conservative background, this conversation can be very uncomfortable. How can people bring up this conversation? So in my book, The New Monogamy, there's a whole list of questions that fall on a monogamy continuum. So the continuum goes from like on the left-hand side, exactly what we're talking about, like do you have fantasies about other people? Do you share those thoughts? All the way to the right side of the, the far side of the monogamy continuum, which is about having an open relationship or a polyamorous relationship. And there's a lot of things in the middle, you know, like looking at porn together or having emotional relationships with other people or uh, emotional connections. And in each of those sections of that monogamy continuum, there's questions about like, how do you, how do you talk about this with your partner? So in other words, should we share if we're attracted to someone else? Is it okay to tell my best friend about our sex life? Should I have a, an emotional connection with someone at work that I spend more time with than I do at home? Should I invite them over for dinner so that you're friends with them too? Or is it okay to have separate friendships that, you know, we don't share? Like, oh, there's just hundreds of questions in that book that make it sort of fun and easy where you don't have to come up with, like, how do we talk about this? Because sometimes when you try to talk about it, it comes out as criticism or it comes out as a threat to your partner. Mm -hmm. So your partner's like, okay, why are you bringing this up? What are you trying to say? 
it's sometimes easier to have a list of questions in front of you where you can say, you know what, this would be a fun date night. Like, let's, let's just pick some questions off this list and ask each other so that we can start a conversation about what might be interesting to both of us. And, you know, it's, it's important to have this conversation before you get married or before you make a commitment. It's also important to have these conversations like on your anniversary as a review and also as a vision of what you want going forward. And I think you should do it every couple of years at the very least. Right, and I love the question format because you're right that if, if, you're, if you're going to a partner saying that, what do you think about this? <laughs> that can be suspicious or the person can get defensive. Then why are you out of blue asking about this? But it can be non-threatening way of kind of communicating about these things. And also when it comes to kind of sexual conversation, people can get defensive. So it's very op- it's important to be curious and give yourself and your partner space to think about it. And I love the idea of revisiting it in a few years. Maybe like this year I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of marinating it in my mind. And next year when we're talking about it, I can be more open about it. Yeah, and things change. Look, when you, you know, before you have kids, you might be into certain things. And then when you have little kids, it changes. And then when the kids grow up, and then when they leave for college, and then when they move home after college, and then when they're finally gone again, (laughs) a lot of phases of your life, when your sexuality and your emotional intimacy are it's going to shift. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really important to keep things at least in the bedroom exciting because I think mo- many people are doing it, at least again in my practice, doing a better job at companionship piece, but they, they are not necessarily investing the time and energy in their, uh, their erotic life. And that, that can compromise the quality of the relationship. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're toward the end of our time. I'm so excited to share with our listeners all of these new things that you're having your, in near future. You, you shared with us that like you have your new book and also I know that you're uh, releasing the second season of your podcast. So tell us if our listeners want to learn more about your books, about, about your podcast, where, where would be a good place for them to go? Oh, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, my podcast, the second season, it's called The Trouble With Sex. So we talk about what listeners think they're having trouble with, and we answer questions. We have experts like you on, and so they can go to thetroublewithsex.com or listen anywhere that people download their podcasts, and uh, they can find me at drtammynelson.com, and I also will have a free gift for your listeners so I can send them questions to have a new monogamy conversation. Yay. (laughs) I will download that as well. So thank you so much for all this wonderful information. And guys, I leave all the links in the URL in the show notes so you guys can click on it when you have time. Dr. Tammy Nelson, thank you so much for your time. This was an honor to have you on our show. Oh, thank you so much. It was very, very fun to talk to you today. Have a good day. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Tammy Nelson. My recommendation for you is if you are in a monogamous relationship, definitely invest in making sure that you're keeping the relationship hot, you are incorporating new and exciting things in the relationship, and making a sex a priority. I know people have different values, but sometimes what I discovered and through my practice is 
people have this expectation that because once our sex was good enough, it will remain good. But it's my experiences that life happens. People have kids, people get sick, aging happens, sickness happens. So if you want to make sure that you will not going to turn to roommates and you continue to be great lovers, definitely it's important to incorporate exciting and fun things in, inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. Anyhow, this was our episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.